Hello and welcome to the Thanksgiving special episode of the DC Wash-Up. I'm North America con- correspondent Stephanie March, joined by Bureau Chief Zoe Daniel. Yes, we cran. Yay! <laughs> Turkey puns, that's what we're going to have all show. <laughs> Super producer Brooke Wiley, so who just wants pressure. to leave. <laughs> um, and North America correspondent Michael Vincent, who is only with us for another week and a half. I have a cornucopia that's, of things to talk about. Oh my about. gosh. I was going to say that's sadder than a turkey pun, but it's not. So today, <laughs> today we are going to. It's been a big week. Uh, Donald Trump and his transition team are furiously working behind the scenes to select the members of the soon to be Trump administration cabinet. We're going to talk about that. Uh, can a multi billionaire be a president and not have a conflict of interest? We're going to talk about that and uh, his settlement with the Trump University case and a few bits of other bits and pieces and, yeah, maybe some more turkey puns. Why not? So starting off, Donald Trump replaced his head of his transition team with Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, They've been spending the week meeting with, I think now it's 66 different people, uh, not only for cabinet potential cabinet appointments, but also uh, to get people's advice, or so the transition team says, on who they should be appointing. Uh, so far we've got, is it five men and two women have been named for key posts? Uh, there's some from the traditional uh, DC swamp. There's Reince Priebus, who's the GOP chair. Um, there is, who are some other ones from the swamp? Come on, Michael, help us out. Well, it depends whether you consider Steve Bannon to be from the swamp or merely a sort of edge of the swamp dweller. It depends. I think he's very edge of the swamp. Steve Bannon, the the former chairman of Breitbart, the hard right conservative sure, news site. Be, oh, I see. If you mean the sense of the swamp being conservative establishment, hmm. yes, he's very much outside of that. But in terms of being, you know, making money out of the um, out of the conservative movement, yeah, he's he's you know former banker and everything else, he's certainly um, in the mix. Um, we've got, uh, reportedly, uh, Dr Ben Carson to be the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Um, he says the urban cities need to be renewed. And uh, Donald Trump seems to agree. We have our first female pick today, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. And joining her is the, another female is mega donor and former Chairman of the Republican Party of Michigan, Betsy DeVos. So, you know, we're still waiting on the big picks, Secretary of State and Secretary of Defence, but um, we still, we have, you know, we have now got, you know, Mr Trump, Mr Pence, uh, Reince Priebus, Steve Bannon and um, Dr Ben Carson and two women. Uh, And General Michael Flynn for National Security Advisor and Mike Pompeo as the head of the CIA. Zoe, what's your take on how the Trump team is shaping up in terms of the types of people he's looking for? Uh, Well, I think it's quite interesting. I mean, a couple of the things that he's talked about is uh, stopping the money-making industry out of lobbying. We talked about this a little bit last week, and this sort of goes as well to the sorts of appointments that he's making. He's walking this very fine line between trying to introduce new blood and also taking advantage of the kind of expertise that he can find that matches his policy positions. It's not actually an easy line to walk. Um, and we're seeing sort of some sort of wobbliness in both of those areas in that just about everyone that he's appointed is tainted in some way by something that they have said uh, that offends or is in question. Uh, Jeff Sessions, for example, the senator, some things that he has done in relation to um, racism previously in his career when he was under consideration for a, a court position 
come up. These are the sort of vetting things that come up. Um, But the other thing in relation to the lobbying stuff that we're talking about is that essentially he's asked people who are registered lobbyists to deregister themselves Mm. so that they can then be part of his team, which sort of calls into question the substance of the sort of things that he's talked about. Is he actually talking about draining the swamp or is he talking about giving the effect of draining the swamp without actually doing it? There's been a whole bunch of reporting about how defence industries suddenly started ramping up their numbers of people, um, that the stocks have gone up, the the numbers of people they're planning to use for, for lobbying on the hill have gone up. So whether he whether he wants to or not, he is is expected to actually boost the number of lobbyists in DC for that area, and even private prisons for the use of um, the um, getting rid of um, immigrants. Private prison stock prices have actually soared. So um, even though President Obama is trying to end the use the mm. federal use of private prisons, that's actually one area which has actually gone up. I think that. Donald Trump's appointments were always going to be under extreme scrutiny for obvious reasons. So someone like Mike Flynn, who is said to have close links to Russia, is under huge scrutiny. Um, And yet he won't face a confirmation hearing. That's the other fascinating thing. Neither will Steve Bannon. Because they're they're sort of outside that ring that, that gets that sort of extreme vetting, if you like. I mean, Ben Carson, who ran for the presidency, but then when he was touted as a potential health secretary, said, I don't have the expertise to do that, and yet he's now accepting seemingly another appointment within the administration. So there's all these sort of um, steps forward and back for the Trump administration in terms of their credibility. And there's no doubt, it's pretty obvious that they're feeling their way in terms of the way they make those appointments, in terms of the protocols, in terms of their interactions with the media, which have been under the spotlight this week after a group of television executives and broadcasters were called in and basically berated by Donald Trump in an off-the-record briefing. He then had a briefing with the New York Times, which was on the record, but he said he had cancelled the briefing because he basically didn't want to talk to them. Then it was back on. Um, it's messy. I, within, that, 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 those tweets messy, happened within... Great understatement of this election. Well, yeah, that, that, happened, that happened within eight hours. That was what's so bizarre about it. He changed his mind within eight hours on that, on that New York Times meeting, calling them you know, liars and accusing them of you know, misreporting him, and then eight hours later saying they're a jewel of the world. Well, I think we, we decided that Donald Trump is not a morning person. That was one takeout from the week. It, it's taken us... You know, a whole year, year to come to that position, God but that I, I think we can lock in, that say, in. North Korea in the <laughs> afternoon in Asia, which would be the early morning hours here. You know, God flowers. <laughs> exactly. It is interesting, though, watching the way he is going through this process of forming government and, um, you know, essentially becoming one of the most watched men in the world. And the way he is meeting all these potential cabinet picks, he's having them drive up to the, you know, driveway of his golf resort or walk through the lobby of Trump Tower with all the cameras trained on him. You know, his administration is giving this daily briefing. It's quite interesting how um, there's been a lot of concern about what sort of transparency he'll have and what sort of relationship he will have with the press. Um, And it still is something that's sort of being felt, I think, and they're sort of feeling their way. And I was down at the White House today and one of the staffers said, oh, I think things are going to really change in terms of press access and all that. But again, we don't know. They don't know. Um, And, you know, they said the White House Correspondents Association is talking with the team, but everyone 
you know, from the Trump team is pretty much new at this in a way. There's this sense of sort of wanting to punish people who annoy him or mm. say things that he doesn't like as well. And, you know, specifically in that sort of cable TV briefing that I mentioned, he singled out particular journalists, particular television presenters, particular executives and sort of had a spray at them. Um, Katie too, he didn't mention right. her, but, but he, he's gone after her relentlessly mm. through the yeah. campaign. And he's still going after her, even, the, you know, like she's going to report on him. Yep. And she, she may end up being appointed to the White House to report on him. And yet he still doesn't want to let that go. And, but... and this is part of the robustness of any Western democratic system, that the media is there and certainly um, in in ways during this campaign the media has failed. But that is part of the actual sort of social check and balance. So this is a, a big problem. Yeah, all I would add to that, I suppose, is that it was quite revealing some of the uh, moments that came out of those briefings where he complained of, you know, journalists using photographs of him that were unflattering and that would, you know, demonstrate him having three chins, which... <laughs> Whether that's accurate or not, I'm not entirely sure. We'd all like, but to, we'd all like to always look lovely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that said, it seems that he is quite thin-skinned when it comes to anything related to him personally. And that's where he seems to be coming unstuck with the media coverage is because he is taking all of the coverage very, very personally as opposed to looking at the institution as a check and balance role. And that's just the serious news reporters. What about the bloody comedians? He's having mm. a go at comedians on Saturday Night Live, you know, calling them biased and unfair. Sorry, what? Mm. You know, they're comedians. They're meant to make you look silly. They're meant to make fun of you. I have... The other thing this week was the Hamilton incident, mm. which kind of goes to the core of what we're talking about. Where And, you know, you could debate whether it was appropriate or inappropriate what the cast of Hamilton elected to do when Mike Pence the vice president-elect turned up to watch the show in New York and at the end of the show, a cast member stood up with the rest of the cast behind him and essentially called on Mike Pence to have an inclusive society and talked to the fact that Hamilton is a musical about the, the very foundations of American diversity, etc. And Donald Trump was absolutely furious about this and was tweeting... Um, in a very angry way for a number of days demanding an apology from the cast of Hamilton. Uh, and then, of course, that then turned into the sort of social media war around the number of people that Donald Trump managed to offend and not apologise to during his campaign. So it sort of descended slightly into the ridiculousness and, and still has not been resolved. And look, this is all fine amongst American actors and American politicians and American um, uh, uh, journalists and people who are going to have a, a tug and forth with him, you know, back and forth with him over the next four years. What about the president of China? What about the president of Russia? What about an ally like England, of which he was suggesting to them the other day they should appoint one of his friends, Nigel Farage, to become the ambassador to the US? Wouldn't that be fun? You know, to which Boris Johnson quite rightly pointed out, thank you, the job's filled. You know, this is... How does this work? I get it works internally. It, it, I think in a way Americans will accept. <laughs> well, Amer I think Americans might grow bored of it, but that's the thing. At the moment, they seem to accept that this is the way Donald Trump is and it will work for him domestically. But internationally, I'm not so sure 
that he's going to be able to have this, flip, you know, flip, you know, this this way of going backwards and forwards aggressively with foreign leaders. I know that he likes to do that, but I don't know if it's going to work for him. It's it's not a business. It's it's a diplomacy. Diplomacy is an entirely different species. And I think there'll be a lot of learning curves for all of us in the next couple of months. One of the other issues that's been in the news uh, since Donald Trump won the presidency essentially is whether or not someone who runs a multi-million if not billion dollar business can be the president uh, and do so without having a conflict of interest. Uh, It sort of seemed that he said in that New York Times uh, private meeting yesterday that he doesn't see why it's a problem uh, and has promised to put his assets in a blind trust uh, headed by his children, which many analysts have said does not make it a blind trust um, if those people are related to you and in communication with you. Uh, So it's still very murky and very messy exactly how that's going to play out. Zoe, how do you see it? I suppose, being a focus of his presidency and is it something he's going to be able to resolve? No. I mean, I just think it's completely unworkable. But this is the situation that America is faced with. I mean, they have elected a very prominent businessman to be the president who who will find it very difficult, even with the best of intentions, would find it very difficult to disentangle himself from his his love of his business his business interests and the fact that his family is completely enmeshed in his business. I mean, what do you do? Do you have Thanksgiving lunch tomorrow with Ivanka and the boys, but you can't talk about anything relating to the Trump empire? It's just completely unrealistic. I think it will follow him throughout um, his presidency. I guess, you know, he he can do things like he said, well, he's not going to take a salary um, he can make goodwill gestures like that. But whenever there is a scandal involving his businesses, it will blow back onto him and there will be huge media focus on his businesses for that reason. And I, I think it will be a big problem for him. It comes down to, though, kind of as Michael alluded to, whether the public really cares about it because he's coming into it. He is who he is. Everyone knew that right from the start. People who opposed him right from the start, that will compound their opposing of him. His supporters won't care. And then everyone else who didn't vote probably doesn't have a right to a view. (laughs) Word of the day, emolument. Emolument. Oh, come again, (laughs) Merriam-Webster. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of the Congress, accept of any present emolument office or title of any kind from whatever, from any king, prince or foreign state. The Democrats have talked about how if Donald Trump accepts any payments via his business from a foreign government, that could bring him into conflict with the US Constitution. Which is huge because he's got business operations all over the world. The other thing that is an issue in all this is whether or not, and there's discussion about whether there are obscure provisions in the Constitution that you know, could lead to him um, being hauled through the courts on this sort of stuff. He did have a court case underway when he was elected president, and that was um, the Trump University case, fraud case, where um, a number of students said that they were misled um, by the advertising, forked out $30,000 for a course that wasn't what it said it was. Donald Trump, the man who claims he never settles, although has in legal cases in the past, settled late last week uh, the case for 25 
million dollars. Brooke, what do you think about that in terms of his rationale for doing it and how that is perceived and how much people do actually care about Donald Trump's private life? Uh, it strikes me that of all of the scandals and controversy that has followed Donald Trump, the Trump University case seems... We were so young then, weren't we? Like, wasn't it so early in this whole saga of all the things We've that aged could possibly so many years in this election campaign? <laughs> the Trump University case just seems like such a distant memory. And the controversy that followed when he went on to attack the justice that was involved for his Mexican heritage. And But, I mean, no, I'm not surprised that they settled um, because he does settle. Mm. And it's such a a sort of sideline issue already because there are so many other bigger controversies, including exactly what we've been discussing, which is his various business interests, mm. that I think it will be just one of the many things that is swept aside. What what else would you do in his position? Yeah. You could you could argue it that way. Mm. The other kind of really cynical way of looking at what happened with Hamilton was that it was just a way of getting the focus off the Trump University thing mm. because the two things happened on the same day. On the same day. He settled Trump University case for $25 million. Then the Hamilton thing happened and he was madly tweeting about that. And then, of course, all the headlines were about Hamilton and not about Trump University. Yeah, mission so accomplished. Just leave that yeah. there. And also, yeah. you know, gave him the opportunity to tweet that had he not won the presidency, he would have had a long, drawn-out, winnable battle with Trump uni- over the Trump University case. So he sort of, yeah, took to Twitter to defend himself there as well. I think his Twitter account is going to be maybe the most critical website on well, the internet it, over been, the next four years. No, it's been interesting the way he's, you know, um, someone remind me what the tweet was that he put out the other day about, and then he kind of uh, rephrased it, about the protesters. He slammed the people protesting his win um, by saying they were being unfair and then he came out to celebrate the you know democracy that allows people to protest albeit they were small protests mm. he said so there's obviously that, a bit that's of a because conflict. the coffee filter finished <laughs> he had time, time to have his it? coffee yeah, but, I mean, it's interesting that he you know and I saw a journalist who um, you know she's obviously journalists who follow the president the president elect follow every move and she you know screenshotted a tweet that he later deleted and slightly reworded and it's sort of one of those things when you have no filter um you know there's no way you know all this you can't take it back once it goes out there you know we used to say in radio you're not wrong for long on the internet you may feel like you're not wrong for long but if someone takes a screenshot you're wrong forever yeah look i think it was fascinating to see that the actual target of the Hamilton uh, statement respond, and that was Mike Pence, whose whose words were, "This is the sound of freedom." The guy who was targeted, perhaps embarrassed, uh, but didn't say that. Didn't you know? Quite happy for them to say their thing. Didn't attack them. That 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 is more presidential than the president elect. And Mike Pence has been very careful, I think, about on some issues saying what he thinks, and other issues towing the line. And it would be interesting to see whether he keeps doing that during the presidency, whether he does, you know, not publicly embarrass the president, but whether he uses Twitter or uses statements uh, to, um, you know, show that there is a difference between him. Because, of course, some people have speculated, repeatedly speculated, that uh, Donald Trump will get bored of being president. Mm, um, it depends. Mm. Exactly. Yes. Well, I do hear an interesting theory uh, from someone who should know this week that 
it's the triumvirate of Mike Pence, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan who will be running America and that Donald Trump will be in the chairman position. And we've seen that characterised that way before, that Mike Pence will be the chief executive and Donald Trump will be chairman. And it may well evolve in a practical sense that way. Who's going to meet with but, foreign leaders, though? I mean, this is the that's the, that's fine domestic policy-wise. Trump will be happy to sort of let them get get on with, you know, revamping Obamacare, revamping the tax code, revamping regulations on the EPA, you know, uh, bringing in a whole bunch of you know tax uh, credits for companies that want to do infrastructure and all that sort of stuff, which is stock standard, you know, Republican fare. But it's that issue of you know, he's going to be the guy meeting. The, the, the leaders of the world speaking at the UN. He's going to be going to negotiate and finalise deals potentially. I mean, he had his son reportedly in uh, speaking to Russians last week about the Syrian conflict. I mean, that's fascinating. The fact that, you know, non-traditional actors are now involved heavily in what has been the purview of, you know, professionals and diplomats um, for, for, for decades. But that was the campaign pitch exactly. to the electorate. Yeah. And so that's what they're going to get. They're going to get exactly that. They're going to get uh, not professionals who have, you know, two decades of experience in diplomacy having these high-level meetings. They're going to get people from outside the swamp. Uh, but I think back on this sort of idea that Trump may in fact get bored of being president, it strikes me that he won't get bored of that public side of things. He may find the day-to-day -day running of government not very interesting and perhaps that does get shifted on to Pence or to Paul Ryan or to whoever else. But I don't think he will tire of showing up at global meetings. The showing cameras up are there. At, exactly. The and pageantry. It, yeah. But it is, yeah, and I think, you know, supporters would say that this isn't, yes, everything's going to be different, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. And this is, yeah, another one of those things we're just going to be learning as we go. On the issue of race, this is what I found interesting last week, this week, the, the, there, was, there was a massive reaction from the minorities in America after, which is prompted Hamilton, the statement at Hamilton. Um, the fact that Donald Trump has said now he's disavowed the alt-right, um, he has said that uh, to 60 Minutes, you know, stop it if people are attacking minorities. He said it to the New York Times said that Bannon's not a, a racist um, and I wouldn't have appointed him if he was. Um, the fact he's now included a minority in terms of Nikki Haley um, on the in the cabinet and, and two women in the cabinet and he's also reportedly going to appoint, although according to the latest reports hasn't publicly accepted it yet, um, Dr Ben Carson. Does that give, do you think that gives those people, the minorities in America, the Latinos, the African Americans, um, you know, hope that um, all of that campaign, all of that rhetoric will just now disappear into the ether. And, and as President Obama uh, opined, that he's actually not really ideological. I don't think that it will make much of a difference to those people who feel as though um, symbols of hate and racism and normalising violent behaviour against minorities, I don't think that they will see any peace of mind at that because Donald Trump throughout the campaign has been using minority figures. Doc, uh, Dr Ben Carson has been a part of his campaign for a long time and he had other uh, minorities speak at the convention, for example. And I think that there were... I think there have been... Uh, a pretty consistent appearance by minority figures throughout the campaign. That's not really the issue. It's it's the not 
condemning the behaviour of more extreme voices in the community. That seems to be where it, where the rest of the minority community is feeling very uneasy about what will happen come January. Which is exactly which is exactly what Nikki Haley was calling him out for in January of this year when she stood on the stage next to Marco Rubio and said she would continue to attack a man who would not disavow the Ku Klux Klan. Donald Trump in and the South Carolina... Well, in the, in the South Carolina primary, was asked repeatedly about the, about the support he'd got from former Klansman David Duke and the KKK, and he did not... He, I don't know who you're talking about. I, what are you, that famous interview with Jake Tapper on CNN. And then, 24, 48 hours later, after the primary, then he walked away from it. Oh, of course I disavow it, you know, as, as a throwaway comment. And then, again, you know, this issue of the alt-right, again raising itself during the campaign, and only now, after the campaign, oh, of course I disavow them, you know, as, as a throwaway line. So it would be fascinating to watch whether people like Nikki Haley still stand up for those values inside the Cabinet and whether that she does on the international stage if this is again raised, because even the Deputy Secretary of the United Nations, the spokesman for, for him today, was saying that they were proud of her, uh, they were very, the laudable comments, he said, talking about not obviously the KKK and that politics, but the fact that she fought to bring down the Confederate flag in South Carolina after the Charleston massacre last year. Well, in, at the end of the day, it's going to be about outcomes. So they... appointing Nikki Haley and her choice to take that role is a step. And everyone who was feeling nervous in those particular communities is in a position of having to wait and see. And it's going to come down to, as opposed to what he says, what he actually does after he's inaugurated. And on that note, final thoughts. It's Thanksgiving. What are we thankful for today? I'm thankful that I got to see President Barack Obama today at the White House to his final turkey pardon and all the jokes were there, everyone was <laughs> laughing and he seemed happy and relaxed and it was just really nice to, you know, have someone laughing about life. And the turkey gobbled. And the turkey went nuts. I think the turkey was just <laughs> devastated that Barack was leaving. Um, and he did a little turkey dance. The president did a little turkey dance. So, yes, it was everyone was very enamoured by him. The staff did seem a little bit sort of sanguine, but it was, yeah, good to see. Michael? Um, I'm very thankful for having some time left here to celebrate with my friends. I've got, um, I think, a dozen or so families getting together tomorrow to eat a Latino. Oh, Latino Thanksgiving, which would be pretty fantastic, um, and that's that's going to get me through. I think till the time I go, which is not long now; it's like two weeks. So, but two weeks today. Yeah. We're going to have to record your cackle and play it as canned laughter on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Brooke, what are you thankful for? Uh, I am thankful for my first ever Thanksgiving. Yay! That's going to be fun. I'm also thankful for your lamington batch the other day, they Steph. Were great, they were they? excellent. <laughs> A little taste of home to take us into Thanksgiving week. Zoe. Um, mint M&M's They're really good, right? <laughs> that is a piece of America that I'm definitely adopting uh, And slightly off topic <laughs> But if you're planning your Christmas decorations Because it is that time of year uh, The Trump campaign has released a gold-edged Make America Great Again hat Christmas tree bauble Wow So I'm just putting that out there Wow. Just as a little side note. That you can get for the low, low price of $149. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, I'm going to be sticking to M&M's for Christmas. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week.